So this evening we're going to start our exploration of dependent origination, somewhat a continuation of the discussion we were having last last evening about the conditioned mind. <clears throat> and today I'd like to focus upon the first four links of dependent origination or conditionality. Uh, the first link is ignorance. The second link is karma formations or volitional actions, volitional formations in the consciousness. And the third is rebirth consciousness. And the fourth from rebirth consciousness is manifested the body and the mind. So we're going to be focusing upon especially the first three this evening. Um, ignorance, karma formations, and, and rebirth consciousness. Let's begin with karma formations and, and the meaning of karma, since such words as karma and rebirth sometimes have some different meanings to people in the Western world here, since we hear them in some different contexts. The word karma itself means action. It's the meaning of karma. Karma is um, the spread of energy or the law of energy that works through our thoughts and what we say and what we do. That is, through the mind and thought, through our speech and through our actions. So. The mind itself and thinking is an aspect of karma. It's an activity. It's a mental activity. And what we say verbally is a manifestation of our thoughts and our mind. Because before we can talk, before we can say something, words, concepts, there has to be thought within the mind. It begins in the mind. And also our actions, our bodily actions, how we relate to other people physically, um, our life in the world in terms of our livelihood, whatever, um, very much of this is based upon the state of our mind. So karma is the actions which manifest from us and through us, through our speech, through our thoughts, and through our actions. And they're essentially two types of karma. One type is called kusala karma, and the other is akusala. Kusala and akusala. Kusala meaning wholesome karma, and akusala is unwholesome karma. And every every thought that we have, every every and the action of our speech and through our bodily actions are kind of seeds that are planted within the consciousness itself. And some of those seeds are wholesome seeds and some of them are unwholesome seeds. If, for instance, we cultivate intentionally or unintentionally within our mind greed, or fear, or anger, or even delusion. If we cultivate those kinds of mental states, 
either intentionally or unintentionally through a lack of awareness, then those seeds of fear and anger, those unwholesome seeds, those seeds of akusala karma, very often in the future will bear the fruit of further feelings and states of mind, of greed, of anger, and of delusion. If we cultivate in our mind patience and generosity and, and love and compassion, and these different states of mind, if we cultivate these different states of mind, then in the future the results of the cultivation of those states of mind is that the mind is more um, proliferated with these particular qualities um, that are considered to be kusala or, or wholesome. So there's karma and then there's the results of our karma. The results of our karma is called vipaka. So karma means action and the results of our actions is called karma vipaka. Karma and karma vipaka. And sometimes the results of our actions are immediate. That is, the, what comes back to us as a, way of, as a way of the results of our actions is something that happens immediately. For instance, if, you, if it's a, a warm, sunny day and you go to the beach and you lie in the sun for three hours and it's the first time in the season for you to be at the beach, it's a fair chance you're going to get sunburned, right? And you get all red and you come home and you're hot and you're nauseous and you're very uncomfortable. And so action and fruit of action becomes very obvious in that moment. Just also if you're sitting in meditation and you sit for a full day, the first day of the retreat, and you start to experience pain in your body there's an obvious correlation between the two, between the action of sitting cross-legged for a long period of time and the results of that, which are some stronger sensations in the body. If you remember the Beatles song, Instant Karma is going to get you? Remember that? Well, sometimes it gets you right away. And it's pretty obvious where it's coming from. Both the action and the result of the action, the karma and the karma vipaka, and the cause and effect relationship is very, very obvious. I remember one time um, as a young man, actually as a boy, as an adolescent, I won't reveal my true age here. <laughs> it's, it's in your mind? <laughs> um, anyway, my father worked in a shop and the kind of shop that he, uh, it was a, a retail store that he worked in of sorts. And uh, the person who was the manager of the store used to take out orders to other stores in the area. And he had a station wagon that he used to park in a parking lot. And a friend of mine and myself, we were kind of partners in crime. And one of the things that we used to do, which was not exactly wholesome karma, 
was steal cars. <laughs> we used to steal quite a few cars, actually. <laughs> and uh, mostly it was, you know, just for joy rides, that kind of thing. <laughs> we, we, we didn't strip them down and sell them. We, what we do, we take them and we ride them around, and then we leave them in apartment complexes. And having done that, um, when uh, people came home to their apartments, they would see a car in their slot because the, the, the way it was set up is that these apartments had these steel bars on the parking, in each parking place. And it had a latch over the top of it. So if a car was in there, when the person who lived in the apartment came home, they would call up the attendant um, who was running the apartment, and then they would call the police, and the police would get the car, and the person whose car we stole would report in that their car was stolen, and the person would get their car back. So it was kind of considerate car stealing <laughs> of, so of sorts. So anyway, we came out of this, we were, sh we were fond of shooting billiards, shooting pool. So we came out of this pool hall, not too far from where my father worked. And uh, we decided, well, we didn't want to walk all the way across town, so we'll take a car. So we look around for a car that's got this kind of ignition where you just turn. You don't need a key to put in. Remember the old-time cars? This is going back a little ways. Well, you don't need the key to go in, but it had that kind of thing sticking out. And you, if you didn't put it on lock, if it was just on off, then you could turn it on and the ignition would go on. So we look around, we finally we found one that was like that, you know. As we jumped in, and my friend is driving, we're going down the street. So we drive, he was right near, his house was right near this, uh, this apartment complex. So it's a big station wagon, you know, those old, wide, big station wagons. It had power steering. So he pulls it in, and he pulls it into one of his uh, car stalls, and smashes in the whole side. He just went right into one side of the into one side of the pole and just put a big gash on the side of it, you know. So he straightens it out, put it back in, and we take off, you know. Well, the next night, not that night, but the next night, at the dinner table, my father comes home and he says, somebody stole Willie Coleman's car. You know, I'm sitting there, just about ready to take a spoonful of food, you know. And I... <laughs> And I say, oh, yeah? What, a car, what does a car look like? So he describes the station wagon. And then he says, and there's a big gash on the side of it. And we didn't realize it, but we stole my, my father's boss's car. <laughs> that is an example of instant karma coming back and getting you right away. You know, I, my father doesn't know this to this day, and I won't tell him, I'll let him, let him rest in peace. <laughs> but, there, you know, there was the action, and then there was the results of the action coming forth right away. And it, you know, creates a lot of fear, you know. Not only fear for myself, but for my father's job as well, you know, and guilt and all those kinds of feelings. Um, and having gone through a number of experiences like that, earlier on in life. <laughs> now you see why I became a monk. <laughs> I didn't have too much choice in the matter. Anyway, one time in the monastery, that one, of the, one of the monasteries that I was living in, somebody stole something inside of the monastery. 
I can't remember exactly what it was, but somebody, something was stolen, which is a very unusual thing to have happen in the monastery, because there were places where you know, your things were safe, because everybody was observing the nigh, the discipline, and um, there was very little in the way of theft that would happen in a Buddhist monastery in Thailand. But somebody had stolen something in the monastery. And right away, I started feeling all of this fear and guilt. It just came up inside of me. And I had these delusions that everybody thought it was me <laughs> who stole it. You know? And I was, I was, I was, there was panic inside that everybody was accusing me of doing it. And I went up to the teacher and I said, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. <laughs> you know? It was like, it just all came out. And he's looking at me, you know, what are you talking about? Nobody's accusing you. But what happened was in the mind were the seeds of fear and guilt in the mind from past actions coming to fruition in the future. So there's the karma, and then there's the results of the karma, the karma vipaka. There's the cause and the effect relationship that takes place. At first I had a very typical Western kind of mind. I didn't believe at all in karma and rebirth. Uh, didn't, I didn't, uh, I, having a very rational mind, I found, many, as many Western people do, find that, found it hard to kind of surrender or understand the meaning of rebirth and karma. Um, but it was through meditation that I began to see how different states of mind kept getting reborn again and again in consciousness. And this is, you know, the real meaning of rebirth or significant meaning, essential meaning of rebirth is, these, is the different states of mind that keep getting reborn over and over in consciousness. And in meditation, that's what we see. You know, as we sit, we start to see um, <coughs> anger come up over and over and over again. Fear come up over and over and over again. Greed come up over and over and over again. Doubt come up over and over again. And it's this recycling of these different states of mind, which is one of the, one of the meanings of, of rebirth. So where do these karma formations in the mind, where do they come from? They come from the unconscious. As we say in Western psychological terms, the unconscious mind. And how do they get there? You know, uh, what are, what are the, the karma formations? Essentially what they are, are impressions that are made in our mind. The actual impressions Impressions that are lines of energy that imprint the consciousness. Um, this consciousness that's imprinted is called rebirth consciousness, or also known as the Akashic memory. And you can look at the karma formations 
in the mind like lines in sand. And certain actions that we perform um, can leave just, you know, if they're, if they're actions but not of a great intensity, of not of a great importance or impact, then they leave like fine lines in the sand. You know, just as um, if you just draw a small line with a small stick in the sand. Where, and then there are actions that we perform through what we say or through what we do that have more of an impact upon the consciousness. You know that, you know, that when you're doing them or when you're experiencing the, the effects of that particular action, you know that it's making more of an impact upon the consciousness. And that, those are kind of lines of sand of a more medium depth so that you'd be making a deeper line in the sand. And then there are things that we do that have a very great impact upon the consciousness, a real strong impact upon the consciousness. And those can be seen like lines of sand that are very, very deep, as though you were taking a shovel you know, and making a deep line in the sand. And then, in, when you're at the beach and the wind blows, you know that the, 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 first, the, the, the finer lines would be covered over first with the sand. And then it would take a much longer time for those medium lines to be covered with the sand. And the ones that are very deep can take a very, very long time to be covered over so that there are no traces left in the sand that are reminders of that particular kind of action. Well, in a similar way, you can look at the imprints on the consciousness as energy lines, because that's what sankharas are, that's what mental formations are. They are formations of energy. The thoughts that we have, the images that we have, are in actuality forms of energy. Just as your body is a formation of energy, also the mind is a formation of energy. When you see thoughts arising and ceasing, and images arising and ceasing, those are energy manifestations that are arising and passing away. And just as you watch your mind, you see some thoughts are just fleeting thoughts, very quick, psh, go by very quickly, almost as though you don't even see them. Some are of more intensity, and some seem to stay there for the whole 45 minutes you know, making a very strong impact upon the consciousness. And it's all energy. And you can almost experience it as energy, as energy that's arising, sustaining itself for a certain period of time, and then ceasing. And it's very similar with the um, karma formations in the consciousness, is that they make these lines, these imprints, and these imprints are in the rebirth consciousness. The rebirth consciousness being the consciousness which we have when we are born into another body. So our, our actions from a past lifetime, how we lived our life, what we said, what we've done, etc., the kinds of kusala or akusala karma that we have been developing within ourselves, that that 
is transferred from one lifetime to another lifetime through the rebirth consciousness. And that this rebirth consciousness plays a very direct part in how, our, what kind of body and mind we have in this present lifetime. That how are these formations are forming, how the energy is forming within the womb of our mother directly contributes to the state of our body and our mind as a fetus, as a child. You know, and this perhaps can explain why there are some differences between ourselves and our siblings. You know, you might be very much like your sister and very different from your brother. You may look like one and not look like another. You know, I mean, there's, and each, each person has their own interests, their own tendencies of mind their own personalities. And one way of looking at some of these differences, um, and it can be in a way of speculation, but if you look at Buddhist cosmology, Eastern cosmology, there's certainly um, um, some agreement upon some of this that it has to do with these sankharas, these karma formations within the consciousness from the past, the past expressing itself in the present in some way. For some of us, so far in the retreat, as you've been coming into interviews and have been discussing your practice, so we've been talking about the patterns of your mind, what's been happening in your mind. This woman said, you know, my mind has just been filled with negativity and all I've been experiencing is negative thoughts, negative thoughts, and they've been coming up with very strong intensity. That is, for example, one way in which the mind and the, the formations, the mental formations in the mind, the karma formations in the mind, how that when they are of a certain nature and they start to express themselves in the present, in our life, in our meditation, that we see that the mind has a tendency to move in the direction, for instance, of negativity. You know, and that's the kind, that's the propensity, that's the energy of the mind is to move into that negative direction. Somebody else, it can be that they're experiencing a, a lot of desire and wanting all the time. That, that's what keeps coming up. Wanting, desiring, needing. You know, and the mind is always planning the future about what you want to get, what, where you want to be, who you want to be. You know, and, and the mind is just always experiencing that kind of attachment and wanting and moving the energy of the mind, moving, being, the consciousness being swayed in one direction. And so what we're doing in the practice here is watching these different patterns of mind and in watching them, seeing how they arise from the unconscious. They don't come from nowhere. I mean, it's not as though they come out of the walls, these thoughts, 
you know, these strong mental states, etc. It's not as though they're coming from outside of ourselves, they're coming from within. And they're coming oftentimes from the unconscious. And where we may not be very aware of how negative our mind can be or how greedy our mind can be, when you start to do more and more meditation and get in touch with the unconscious mind, you start to see how much of it is there and to what degree it is there, to what intensity it is there. And at first that can be kind of destabilizing. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, what's happening? Is this me? You know, and that's the first thought that we have is, oh gosh, is this me? Well, it's not necessarily that it's ours in a personal way, but it is the unconscious manifesting itself. And it gives us a sense that of the, how our minds can be so conditioned that here we are in a situation in which we don't necessarily have anything to be very greedy or angry about, yet all of these different states of mind can come up with such force inside of ourselves. With such force. What that can show us and the insight that we have can be how important, first of all, the cultivation of the mind, the development of the mind, how important awareness and insight is. It also shows us how important to have awareness of our speech and our actions are, how extremely important this is, especially because as you become more aware of what you say and what you do, and the vipaka, the results of that, comes back and you see the cause and effect relationship, then it becomes even more impressing on the mind to develop a lot of awareness around speech and actions, how important that can be. So we look. We look inside and, and we start to see that the thoughts that we have when we're not aware of them and not in touch with ourselves, how we can say things that are very mindless, that are so spontaneous that they just come out and they're coming out, they hurt and they sting as they come out and they're coming from a place within ourselves where we're not in touch with what we're feeling on a deeper level within our own mind. The more that we're in touch with our own mind and in touch with the grasping and and the clinging and the fear and the anger in the mind, when we're in touch with that, You know, then, when you're in touch with that state, that's the first point of being aware before something comes out. If something comes out, you know, oftentimes it's because we're not aware of what's going on inside of ourselves enough to be aware of the movement of the thought and the energy inside of ourselves before it comes out. And if you're able to be with what is there inside and know that and feel that, then you can 
just observe it on that kind of mental level. When you observe it on that kind of mental level, and it's not coming out through something that you say or something that you do, then it's just a small line in the sand. It's a very small line in the sand because it's just remaining on a mental level. It's not coming out through speech and it's not coming out through action. But when there isn't that degree of awareness and you say something out of ignorance, and remember I said yesterday, ignorance means not knowing, it means not seeing, it means not understanding what's going on inside of ourselves. When we're not aware of what's going on inside of ourselves and it comes out, it makes a deeper line in the sand. A deeper line, a much deeper line. And when the mental state is really strong inside and very powerful and it is a very strong energy and it bursts forth out of us and you know people do some heavy things they kill people you know I mean I I have uh, I've done a fair amount of work in prisons and have met some different kinds of prisoners not all prisoners not all people who kill people are mad killers with axes you know some of some people in prisons who have committed murder are people just like you and I you know with uncontrolled minds you know oftentimes in domestic kinds of disturbances you know where they become very fearful and angry and jealous etc you know and then go off and, and, and kill somebody as a result of that state of mind you know, it's not that they're robbing a bank and killing somebody. It's because something's touching some very strong feelings inside of themselves. And, you know, it just happens fast. There's a gun around, boom. And then they're sorry for the rest of their life. That is a perfect example of a very, very deep line in the sand. You know, that takes a long, long time to be covered over by the winds of time and life and the perpetuation of life. So being aware on being aware of ourselves through meditation is seeing where the roots of the defilements of the mind lie, which is in, in, the, in the mind itself. And through meditation you're getting in, in deeper and deeper touch with that. As you get deeper and deeper in touch with your mind, deeper and deeper in touch with the unconscious. And then how we perform in the world, that is, you know, the, to be aware of our intentions in our actions, you know, to be aware of our speech, right speech, right action, right livelihood, these are three steps on the Eightfold Path. To be aware of these areas of life I'm seeing is so, so important, incredibly important. Because in not having an awareness of them, what comes back is suffering. Ignorance is the cause of suffering. Ignorance being mindlessness, being not seeing, not knowing, not understanding. And when we don't see what is there and we act and say out of that ignorance, out of that greed, out of that anger, out of that delusion, based within ourselves, what we get back is pain. And this is the law of karma cause and effect, and it comes back. And it's, it's a law, it's a truth. It's one of the truths of Dharma. 
that what comes around goes around. And it does. You know, and, and sometimes in some very, very painful ways. And even though we can learn from those experiences, still it creates suffering for ourselves and it creates suffering for other people, sometimes, many times, unnecessarily, especially if we can be more in touch with ourselves and also make this attempt within ourselves as much as possible to come from this place of integrity. Sometimes the meaning of karma that people have in their mind is, and this is a, a way that many Eastern people look at karma as fate or as destiny. Um, this is, you know, sometimes you hear Indian people, other people saying, you know, that, uh, you know, it's my karma, it's the circumstances of my life, it's my karma, and I have nothing, there's nothing that I can do about it. Even in Thailand, for instance, many lay people don't practice meditation. And the reason that they don't practice meditation is that they don't think that they have the right paramis, they don't have the right karma. And they think that monks have the karma to meditate. That's why they're monks. <laughs> and lay people don't have the right karma to meditate. Therefore, all they can do is give alms you know, or go to the temple and, and, you know, and do chanting, you know, pray, things like that. But they don't have enough good karma, so they think, to meditate. And then that holds them back from doing it. But this is not the real meaning of karma. It's not the true meaning of karma. Because life is not just fate, it's not just destiny. I mean, we're all, we all come into, we all have our own karmic predicament. You know, we all have the body that is appropriate for us. The kind of body that's appropriate for us right now, in our life. You know, we're, we come into a family, whether it be a rich family, whether it be a poor family. You know, we, we have certain circumstances in our life which um, are presented to us. There's not a whole lot that we can say about it you know, what our body looks like, who our mother is, who our father is, you know, we arrive and this is the way that it is. You know, there's a certain amount of destiny in that, a certain amount of fate in that. But at the same time, there is a lot of choice that we have in our life. And the more aware that we become as human beings, the more that we see that there is quite a bit of choice that we have. Choice in the terms of how we want to live our life. You know, what we want to emphasize in our life as being important. That this element of choice and fate and destiny work together. That life is both of these things. And with that, we see that we don't have to hold on and perpetuate the same forms of suffering for ourselves over and over and over again. And this wheel of 
the birth and the death and the rebirth of suffering is called samsara in Buddhism. You know, there are certain things that we do in our life that we repeat over and over and over again that create suffering for ourselves. You know, and it's as though, oftentimes, it seems as though we can't stop ourselves from doing these things that keep creating suffering for ourselves. Until, you know, within ourselves, we contact the source of them, the very ground of them, and we see that we can let go. That we do have a choice. That we don't have to hold on. We don't have to hold on to anger so that we keep creating anger for ourselves. We don't have to hold on to fear so that we keep experiencing fear over and over and over again. Insecurity over and over and over again. That we don't have to cultivate greed and wanting. Now we can see it. We see these different states of mind for what they are and let go of them. Ajahn Chah, a teacher in Thailand, he said, do everything with the mind that lets go. Do not expect any praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace and freedom. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. And that's the way it is. If we let go a little, we have a little peace. If you let go more, you have more peace. You know, we move more and more in the direction of letting go completely and having the kind of peace and freedom that all of us wish to have. And what we do here in the meditation practice is just that. You know, is just seeing all that manifests within ourselves and not grasping hold of it. You know, letting go of it, seeing it for what it is, you know, so that the same things are not being perpetuated over and over and over again in our consciousness and in our life. So, we are born into the world with particular karmic situation with our own interests and our own tendencies of mind. And this karma shapes the circumstances of our life. But the, another important factor, variable in all of this, is our attitude towards our life. And this, I feel, is one of the strengths of Western people is that I don't know whether it's the American pioneering spirit, you know, this individualistic um, strength of, you know, that something can be done about life attitude. But we can have this attitude that our life is not totally predetermined for us, predestined to us, but that we can make a difference in our life you know, through something like meditation. And the way to do that is to be increasingly aware of every aspect of our life. You know, especially you know, 
not just stopping here in the context of formal meditation practice, but developing it further and further and deeper, relatedly into every aspect of our life. There's a quote from the Dhammapada that says, the thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into habit, and the habit hardens into character. So watch the thought and the ways with care, and let it spring from love, born out of respect for all beings. The thought manifests as the word, as I was saying before. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed, as action. The deed, the actions, develop into habit. And the habit hardens into character, into personality. So watch the thought and its ways with care and let it spring from love, born out of respect for all beings. And it's that kind of attitude within ourselves which is most encouraged and developed in this kind of meditation practice. And seeing that in terms of relativity and relative existence, that the sequence of events of karma and results of karma is extremely important in terms of the health and well-being of ourselves and the people who we share our life with. So the links that we're talking about today, ignorance, karma formations, rebirth consciousness, and the body and the mind. And then in future talks, we'll start moving along, continuing with the chain of dependent origination and seeing how the cause and effect relationship actually takes place in terms of the series of events that goes on within the mind that gives rise to um, uh, different kinds of um, physical and mental experiences, and we'll be exploring that in the future. Okay, let's just sit for a couple of minutes here. First of all, by being as aware of it as you are right now is the first step. Increasing awareness and the ability to touch it, you know, deeply, um, like you are. And the insight, the first insight is that how powerful it is, how conditioned. 
it is, and that can be somewhat humbling, you know, to begin with, because you see that it's a state of mind that isn't necessarily pleasant or that you like, but is definitely there and comes up with a fair degree of intensity and power. And um, your ability to be with it and see it and not, and, and see it for what it is, the truth of it for what it is, that, it, you know, that is you're, you're not... Um, out of ignorance, identifying with it or grasping hold of it, but just seeing it for what it is, even though it's coming up with such force and power. The ability to see clearly what it is and not grasp and not identify with it as being I, as being me, as being mine, starts to cut away at the reality of it and the seeming intensity of it. And what happens is that it comes up with much, you know, you'll find that as you stay with the practice, it comes up with less and less power, you know, whereas you might find yourself, you know, if you do, you know, if you do a lot of practice, you might find like you're in a negative mood sometimes, you know, two days, it's, you know, a negative mood for two days. And then it'll cease for a while, and then you experience it another two days, and then it'll then it'll you know change for a while. But it comes and can last for a long, long time, and then cease and last for a long time and cease. As you stay with the practice, you find that it comes up in smaller increments, you know, and with less power and less force over you. This is what happened when I was when I was practicing in Thailand in the beginning. I would experience states that would dominate for like two days at a time. And I get a little break. A day usually. And then I come up with a real strong power force for two or three days. And then half a day break. And then again, real powerful, you know. And that would go on. That went on for some time. And then it became smaller and smaller. You know, the, the, the amount of time in which it was coming up and the intensity to which it was coming up. It became smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where, you know, it was something that was not, you know, very noticeable at all. You know? And so, in the beginning, the first revelation is, oh my gosh, this is the state of the mind, which is good to have, you know. And then your continued clear seeing of it and non-attachment to it, the letting go of it, will start to um, cut away at the kilesa, you know, and especially the minds. When you grasp hold of a state like that, that's what's helping to solidify the sense of self, the sense of I, and that's what perpetuates it, because that's where you're coming from, that's where the state is coming from, is from the ego, is from the sense of self. And when you start to see through the ego and the self, then the basis for the mental defilement, it doesn't have any foundation, it doesn't have any ground to build upon any longer. And so, you know, you, the experience of your mind becomes different as a result of that. If I persist in confronting it, 
that leads to dizziness and that leads to nausea. And I spent most of the afternoon kind of in a dizzy, nauseous state. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I'm pursuing too hard, if I should uh, lay back a little bit or uh, just wait and see what happens. And the dizziness and nausea seem to pass within about 15 minutes after a sitting. But if I sit and try, what I'm working with is just sitting quietly. Mm -hmm. And to sit without moving is mm -hmm. first the headache, then the dizziness, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stay with it. <laughs> Go for it. Yes, stay with it. This is this is the opportunity that you have. This is why you're here. You know, to avoid it would be to waste your time mm -hmm. in being here because you know it's there. I mean, that's the thing. That's the other insight. Is you, once you know it's there, you don't have any choice about it. You know. I mean, you could, leave, you could leave the meditation center, but uh, you know that this is the state of your mind, and so this is what you want to work with. And, uh, and it does have those kind of physiological effects upon the body. It can be quite imbalancing, you know. That's why, you know, doing, doing the walking meditation, doing yoga, that kind of thing, sometimes can help to create some balance with it all so that we don't get too overwhelmed by it. Um, and at the same time, you remain aware of it, you remain conscious of it. So you're doing a good thing. Stay with it. Yes, Russell. It's not, the, it's not the vipaka, it's, the, it's the, the karma formation. That's the imprint that's made upon the consciousness itself. And the result of the vipaka comes from that formation, you see. So you know, the, the results of the, the mental state that you experience in the future is a result of the impressions that have been made upon the mind at a previous time. And that's where they're coming from. And that's, that's what you're seeing that's arising within the mind. Are these samkaras, these mental formations? So the deeper lines are the ones that they take, that's what uh, they become deeper through time because you're, you're, uh, you're, you're current, so Not necessarily deeper through time, but for, say, for instance, for, your, you know, for, for yourself, with the feelings of self unworthiness that you have. Okay, it's a. These are formations within your mind that are deeper for you. You know, that is a deeper, has a much deeper impact and importance for you in your, in your mental life than, say, something that is, you know, a desire, say, or something that you just don't experience very much of, you see. And so in that sense, um, the, 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 the karma formation or the imprint that's made upon the mind um, is of a, of a deeper nature. And these are, you know, what I'm saying here, these are kind of visual images to give you a kind of understanding that takes place. Don't take them too literally, like there's a beach in there, you know, <laughs> the lines of sand. It's just, it's a way of, a metaphor to explain what, what can go on. No. No, we're not. we're not. We're not even doing that. That was just a, a metaphor that I was using. Okay, that's not what actually takes place. What I, when I said that when the, the 
the winds blow over the sand. I was just, I was just a, using that as an image to give you a sense of how deep or how shallow the lines can be. That's not what actually takes place in the mind. Yeah. What are you experiencing in your meditation? Um, you know, I concentrate on the breathing and then an idea might pop up. But when I say, oh, thinking, thinking, mm-hmm. thoughts, and then it doesn't usually persist very long or it might pop back up. But it's not, it's not a, mm-hmm. anything scary. Or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's no obvious, there's no strong mental states that you're experiencing right now. Well, fine. You know, everybody may not be experiencing strong mental states, but there are some folks who are, you know. So if you're not experiencing it, then that's, that's fine. You know, you, whatever you're experiencing is important for you and what you're experiencing. Um, but, you know, these are some other experiences that uh, become quite obvious in meditation as well. It's not as though you should look for them. They may come up. Yeah, they may come up. They may be... It may take some time for um, some of the states that you, that you need to look at to manifest. And uh, that will happen when it needs to happen. Yeah. So, what you were saying before, is each thought a past impression? It's weird to say, like, what percentage of thought are past Right. Right. It's, it's, it is very difficult to say. Um, I would say that mental states that, are of a, that have a more obvious effect in the mind and reaction within the mind um, you know, may have something more directly to do with karma formations, not, not every thought that you have. I mean, you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking about um, you know, what you're going to do at the end of the retreat. I mean, that obviously is not something that has deep roots in the past or in the unconscious, you know. It's just... Pardon? Yeah, right, right. We come from, the, from that certain tendency of mind. So that if your mind you know, has a strong tendency to plan the future, okay, that certain tendency of the mind to have to know or plan the future can come from this place of, say, greed within the mind. The basis of it you know, can be wanting within the mind. That could be the, the basic defilement of the mind that gives the the energy and the motion to the mind just making a small plan into the future. Do you see what I mean? Go ahead.
I remember one time Krishnamurti saying that all thought is old. You know, that all thought is, there's nothing that is really new thought. That thought is always something which is something that manifests from the mind as as some kind of experience from the past. Um, I don't know, it's very difficult to say, you know, where, you know, what is the origination of, of all of our thinking? Where does it all come from? I'm not quite sure. Does anybody else know? Where does... Well, if all thought is old, old thought... Right. Well, then what... Create creativity would come from, um, from emptiness. Would come from, you know, not from the conditioned mind at all. Not from the past at all. But from emptiness. That's where creativity or spontaneity would come from. Yes. Well, I'm in the middle of my meditation and these things come popping up and let go and keep coming up. It seems like there's no change, like there's no difference, no contrast from the day. Well, a lot, you know, a, a lot of the thinking, especially if it's if it's thinking that is um, that has at its basis some some grasping, some clinging, and that that's exactly when you experience something over and over and over in the mind, it's because the mind is grasping, because the mind is clinging. That's why you're experiencing it over and over and over again. There's that action of the mind that is clinging. That very, it's called. Upadana. Upadana means grasping or clinging. And when we continue on with dependent origination during the week, I'll explain it further. It's that grasping within the mind that keeps perpetuating the same thoughts, the same feelings, the same mental states over and over and over again, which is what samsara is. So when you, when you look within your mind and you see that grasping taking place and you let go, right, in that moment, the mind is in a state of release. You're, you're letting go. It's when the mind is grasping and clinging onto something, and these you move further and further into the substantiation of the sense of self, of ego, that you keep, you remain on the wheel of samsara, of re-experiencing these mental things over and over and over again. But as you see it, and as you see the mind grasping and holding on, now seeing, I'm, not, I'm saying seeing with the inner eye of awareness, when you see that that's happening and you let go, then you're not helping to substantiate the ego and, and the eye. And that's what breaks down the whole structure of the suffering, because it's, the suffering is built upon grasping and becoming of I and me, self and ego. And when that is not taking place, 
then the structure, the superstructure of suffering and dissatisfaction that you're experiencing now, for instance, with your mind. You're experiencing dissatisfaction with your mind, right? With your experience. Because the same thing's coming up over and over and over again. So that sense of dissatisfaction within, within, within yourself, when you touch that on a certain level, it'll drive you deeper inside of yourself because it's so dissatisfactory. It'll drive you deeper inside to the point where you see where it's happening, where you see where the grasping and the becoming is happening in the mind. When you see that point in the mind where the grasping and the becoming is taking place, and you see it clearly, and you let go, just like he's saying here, you know, by the release of the mind, um, then meditation becomes a different experience then it's not experiencing the same thing over and over and over and over again. But sometimes you have to experience it over and over and over and over again to bring you to that point where the mind is willing to let go. Because before it's not. It's not willing to let go. Or it's not seeing clearly enough the point where it needs to let go. So it continues to grasp, it continues to cling and you keep being perpetuated in the same cycle of mental experience. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.